The Frankencast is a podcast about pop culture's favorite movie monster. Every episode digs into one Frankenstein adaptation, the good, the bad, and the truly weird. The hosts are two monster obsessives who recap each film by stitching together humorous chats about nonsensical science gear and flappy bats with emotionally resonant personal discussions and critical social theory. The Frankencast is for hard diehards, as well as anyone who enjoys these freewheeling late-night conversations that start with surface-level movie talk and quickly spiral into religion and philosophy. New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Fangoria Magazine. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released onto the world. It's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com now to learn more and subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter promo code COLORS, that is C-O-L-O-R-S, to save 25% off your yearly subscription to Fangoria. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. It is time, ladies and gentlemen. We are counting down our personal top tens of 2021. Yeah, and we wanted to wait till we could do this truly internationally. We thought it would be really <laughs> dull to just do an American version. And we, as we are, we like to include lots of, you know, foreign cinema. Foreign so we flicks. thought it would be best to send me, uh, very easily, by the way, it wasn't any trouble during the pandemic, to send me <laughs> over to a rural Australian town. Why not? Like, and try to record uh, in a basement, which is what I'm doing right now. So, so yeah. Um, so we had to take two weeks to go off um, because Elric had a, a bit of a family emergency yeah. and um, had to head to Australia. And you have been in quarantine in two weeks. So I am hoping you at least got some good reading in. Yes, I read. I actually read a lot of good stuff uh, in quarantine, and it was the best distraction. But I didn't surprisingly watch as much initially there. Um, so a couple things on the plane. So a couple things. I did watch a series that everyone's been talking about this year uh, in quarantine that helped get through. So uh, I have a few things to talk about before we get into the 10 uh, as well. And, and, and one really cool experience that I could have only had here that I'll tell people about. So that's kind of exciting too. Excellent. Okay. So do we want to start? Well, you know what? I'll start with what you missed. You missed season screamings, the Midsummer Scream Con in Pasadena. Um, And it was so nice to see listeners that I haven't seen since before the pandemic. Um, You were replaced. It took four people to replace your presence on stage. Well, because Um, one of them is Collins. So that's like 0.2 of a person. (laughs) Let's face it. Jared would have obviously have been a pretty good sub, but you know, you really <laughs> poisoned going. it well. <laughs> so um, for, I did, um, Elric and I were supposed to be at Season Screamings and we were supposed to do a whole live podcast just talking about our favorite Christmas horror films. Um, but since Elric was no longer there, I brought in Brian Collins, Jared Rivett, um, Angel Melanson and Heather Wixon to replace him. And we had an absolute blast. Everybody was just an absolute um, treat and and we had wild stories to tell about 
about our experiences. And yeah, it was wonderful. Um, and determined some of our favorite holiday horrors. Much love to Black Christmas, but also acknowledgement that Black Christmas was not something that a lot of us remember being this classic canon until like the last 15 years. And then it really started gaining speed. Um, so yeah, yeah, I didn't but, see it until I was an adult. That's not why yeah, none of us did. Yeah. I always thought that that was just me because I didn't see it till I was in grad school. And then mm-hmm. all of us were like, no, this wasn't even something that we watched as when we were even teenagers. Maybe so, it wasn't yeah. on TV as much. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe it didn't have a TV license because when we were kids, that's how I saw a lot of stuff mm-hmm. initially. Um, did Christmas Evil get a mention? I said that was my only. Of course. Okay. And we actually we said that we had to mention it because it was Elric's film. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's good. To, that's good to hear. We needed to represent, but um, that one, I believe you're going to make available for the Patreon. Initially. We're going to put it up on Patreon first. It'll go up yeah, as our eventually. second Patreon episode this month. Yeah. And eventually we'll pop it up as a bonus yeah, maybe in the, the regular year. show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. I, I, I'd like to listen to it myself. I'm yeah, I it should be listen. fun. No, and then we did trivia, which was madness. It was so much fun. But um, we usually when we do trivia, like when we play our normal Dead Right Horror trivia game, we have about 20 teams um, that play 20 to 25. We average about 200 people per game. Um, for this, we had 56 teams show up. We were in this massive ballroom with 56 teams. It was insanity and it was so much fun. I wish you could have been there for it. So hopefully they will bring it back, bring us back to do it again. Well, I was with you in spirit in one way because on my first flight that I took, uh, they have those little, you know, whatever you're limited to whatever they have. And the movies are really bad. Unfortunately, they just didn't have, I was really excited. Oh, maybe I'll get some new movies, but they did have the TV show you've most told me about this year that uh, may or may not come up later. We'll see. So I won't go too in depth here, but it's a a TV show called evil. Um, You finally watched evil. And so I started. So it it kind of annoyed me because they only had the first three episodes of all these different TV shows. So Mm -hmm. I watched the first three straight. I would have just watched the whole season on the plane and, you know, my 12, 15 hour flight or whatever it was. So uh, evil was awesome. So if people, I won't say much more about that right now, just in case, but I really liked it. And I, as soon as I have the ability to watch the rest, I'm going to probably when I get home. The entire first season is on Netflix and the entire second season is on Paramount plus. Um, And there's a little tidbit. It's not on Australian Netflix and something I didn't understand is that when you leave somewhere, it's not that you have to re re like sign in. You your your Netflix is still there where you put on my computer. It's just now limited to what you can see in Australian Netflix. Oh, so it's, so it's super whoa. interesting. It just instantly posts. Now that's actually cool in some ways because there's a whole lot of Australian content that wouldn't have been in our American ones. So a lot of movies and TV shows. So just super, just super strange. So Evil isn't available on that one when I was there. And same with Amazon. You'll go to Amazon. It'll say this title is not available in your region. So, I mean, when I'm, 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 I was working out to like YouTube videos, you know, like listening to music and all the ads that would pop up are Australian ads while I'm here. So it's not so like it's I changed geographically yeah. like locating you. Yeah. So it knows. And I thought that was really funny. So I'm going to miss my little Australian ads. They're a lot more fun. Um, and the other TV show I'll just mention up front because I won't go in depth is, uh, I, which I watched the whole thing is, you know, me, I stay away while these things are popular, but Squid Games. With my seven-year-old is the. I'm glad you caught up. (laughs) Yeah, my seven-year-old has never seen Squid Games, but he's obsessed by it and has watched cartoon like adaptations and YouTube videos about it. And thank God he has not seen this because it is hell violent and insane. I have to understand what, well, I guess it's like when I, when we were kids and like Freddie came out, like I remember hearing and playing 
Nightmare on Elm Street before I actually ever saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Like I remember us playing Freddy, yeah. um, just knowing that he was some type of killer. So my eight-year-old and her friends play squid games where they'll yeah. play games and then they play it like, okay, Marnie's dead and things like that. And I'm like, this is so fucked up. But and but none of them have seen Squid Games. It's the same thing. Yeah, so. it has to be. There has to be. I think the two things, like any, like it's like when commercials or advertisements to children. I think they yeah. the color of the costumes mm-hmm. and the symbols have a really pop sensibility. And then I think it's it's the fact that it is about a child's game, you know, that is being played. It's just the the dark parts around that and the social satire. I highly doubt they are <laughs> understanding just yet. But I was really, you know, it took me it took me a couple episodes, and then I was really interested in it. It's it's you know classic South Korean cinema, really. I mean, it's, yes, it's it's so similar to a lot, but it was it was a lot more because the the central protagonist was so relatable and likable. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case with those movies. I think sometimes they're quite cold. Some of the characters in South Korean films, um, this guy was like the fuck up, you know, he's, and, and I think the gambler, the, the, the kind of bad son who doesn't want to be bad, but as a, and I, I just really found him appealing and um, thought this show was great. So. There's another one that I have to look up on my Netflix account that all of my students have been talking about. I'm trying to pull up my list. Oh, right I know now. exactly what and you're And it's meaning. something it's... called Border Border something. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, I thought now, it was but... something that was like Demon or something. Like there's a Monstrous or something. There's some new um, South Korean series. Alice in Borderland is oh. is also I want to say South Korean I could be wrong um but that's one that no it's it's in Tokyo so I'm going to guess Japanese um but mm. all of my students were like if you like Squid Games Alice in Borderland is amazing um so that one and Demon I or demonic or something yeah it's something like that. like that it's like a series right I've, yeah I've had on here for a while I've also heard Hellbound is really good so no that's the one sorry touched. that's the one. Hellbound is the okay. one I was thinking of, a series yeah. from South Korea. Yeah, yeah um, I got to catch up on that. I will say, completely unrelated to horror, Tick, Tick, Boom, fucking great. Okay. Um, and also, I've been watching Only Murderers in the Building has been my binge uh, throughout okay. the Christmas break. It's a murder mystery on Netf- on Hulu with um, Martin Short and Steve Martin. And it's just, it's so fun. It is just so fun. Um, not horror exactly, just fun murder mystery. Yeah, I have to admit, I've been watching more. Yeah, I've been going through obviously a lot of personal stuff out here, mm-hmm. and and it was hard to. I couldn't really get it. It took me a while to watch more horror. So I was watching a lot of like eighties comedies I hadn't seen, mm-hmm. filling in some gaps, and like cheesy Burt Reynolds romantic comedies and stuff. And it's amazing how sometimes that that can save you. <laughs> you know, I will. The, the last non horror thing I will say yeah. is um, watch Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. It oh, was yeah. quite no, possibly, love it, yeah. It was one of my favorite moments or screenings in general of the year this year. I thought it was just so much fun. Um, So, yeah. But I did watch some horror over the last two weeks. Have you caught anything or want to talk about Oh, no. I've got – so so here, uh, just a bit so we don't do it yet. Save the Christmas one for a second. Oh, I'm totally – no, I'm saving that. I've got that. three. I've got – well, I've got three Christmas indies I watch, so I, I will give them quick little plugs in a second. But I – so that's what I did watch, brand new ones, all, all new films. But but I do have one more um, experience I had here. So, but but yeah, let's go back and forth. Do you have a, Um. So have a- I um, will kick off with Warriors of the Year 2027. Is that um, that is some Fulci, um, which I watched a couple of nights ago. Um, this is Fulci, like early 80s, like 1984 Fulci. 
And I start watching it and immediately I was like, oh, he ripped off Running Man. And then I look it up and Running Man didn't come out till like 86. Um, so this is Fulci. And then I got really interested and I was like, was he like, had he read the book like early or something like that? And then I realized um, when I started reading all of the different notes on it, Fulci was trying to rip off Rollerball, uh-huh. but he ended up writing Running Man before Running Man was actually written, which is kind of a cool thing. The concept Wait, is it possible that uh, Lucio Fulci is Richard Bachman, and it's it not actually could- Stephen King? He's Richard Bachman. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if he's a thinner guy, but yeah, <laughs> no, the whole concept of it, like as soon as I say it, you're like, oh, it's fucking running, man. Yeah. It is um, that in the year 2027, the world is controlled by this massive media group who exploits all of these like underprivileged um, social groups. This sounds way too smart for Fulci already. And I mean that with love. I fucking yeah. love Fulci. You know that. Yeah. Um, but it's very much like in the year 2027, this media outlet controls the world, controls everything, all people do is just watch and live their lives through this it exploits everyone um and the guy who runs the network comes up with this idea of let's get prisoners put them on motorcycles and make them fight in these gladiator events and all the rest of them die the last one who lives is completely free he's completely given a a full like redemption for everything and can just walk out of the games and that's the whole setup and then um, uh, good games yeah, exactly. Right. Perfect, yeah. And um, then they bring in our protagonist, who is this guy who um, killed his wife's killer. Two guys broke in and raped and murdered his wife. And then he shows up in a fit of rage while they're doing it and kills them both. And then he is sentenced to life in prison for murder. And he is the one and he used to be a big athlete before all that happened. Um, and so he's like the star of the show and the one that we identify with. And a lot of it is about their training. And he used unifies them together so it gets very much like the great escape where he's like unifying the prisoners to fight against the proletariat Mm. um and and teaching them that they don't need to be gladiators and war with each other if we just stick together we can you know all win um so really cool altruistic method uh, uh, message and then midway through it shifts from training to the actual gladiator style event. And then it goes full, full, full chi level of gore. Like it gets crazy gory at that point. Um, this one was actually really fun. I watched a couple of the other lesser known full chi movies as well during this time. And those ones I was kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, this one I was like, it totally deserves a mention. I had okay. fun with this um, in a very kind of running man style. Was this just re- re-released or something? No, this one just, uh, the blue came out from uh, Severin just recently. So that is Warriors of the Year 2027. We can Um, only hope we achieve that in 2027. Oh, yeah. We've only got five five years till we can battle. Wait, is it 2027? Let me make sure it's not 2072. I think I might be. Don't make this harder on us. I don't think me and you will be on motorbikes. My dyslexia. Oh, it is 2072. As soon as I looked at it, I was like, I feel like I wrote that backwards. And I did. It is 2072. So it looks like me and Becca are going to start doing health supplements uh, (laughs) that we will be fit enough in our 70s or 90s. We're making it to 2072. Yeah. It's happening. Uh, all right. Cool. I'll see you on the motorbike. Um, uh, the, the Okay. So the coolest thing I did um, just a couple days ago here. So y- about 10 years ago, my sister uh, who lives out, in, you know, pretty much in the middle of nowhere uh, in Australia, she took me to a silent movie theater called The Majestic. 
And mm-hmm. it was in the, I mean, when I say, you know, when I say that people go, okay, you're in Sydney and you're in a city, right? No, we are in the middle of nowhere, rural Australia. There is only a, basically a pub, hotel pub, like in the classic Australian sense. And across the street is this old movie theater. Uh, Which and- I have to quickly interject is insane. Cause I looked at the pictures and you're on this fucking gorgeous beach and like yeah. anywhere in the States, if that beach exists, like there's a whole city around it. Yeah. I mean, Noosa, we're near a place called Noosa, which is a popular like tourist spot, but it's not like a city. And so, but this is like another, you know, 30 miles away from there and it's really rural. And um, so I remember loving it. We saw, and they kind of played Valentino all the time. It's always, you know, son of chic. And so that was, co- it was a cool experience. So I looked it up as I was coming back and I was like, like, you know what, that's something that holds a lot of memories for me, obviously, as somebody who loves movies. And so I said to my mom, I'd really like to go there again. I look it up. And what's cool is that they only play a movie like, you know, a silent movie, maybe once a month. And so it just happened to be on one of the days I'd be here in the middle of the day. Uh, and it happened to be one of the few horror films I've <gasps> never seen. Wow. From the silent period. And I've always wanted to. And that is The Golem. And I'd never seen The Golem. So I was like, oh, my God, what is the chance that one of the few silent horror films I haven't seen yet is playing and we get to go? So I take my mom, to the, which is hilarious because, you know, she's uh, you know not somebody who would naturally be going to The Golem, let's just say. Uh, and it's um, and I, I learned a little bit more about the history of it. I'm going to post some photos of of the place. But what I didn't know, this is the longest running silent movie theater in the whole world. A hundred wow. years. This is their hundred year anniversary of showing silent films continuously, even if it's, you know, not every day or whatever. And the guy comes out and he's playing the organ and he's been playing the organ for 73 years. Oh my movies. God. And I'm, and there's five people in the movie, like only five people showed up. It's the middle of the day. It's 12 o'clock in a town, like where no one would go to the movies. Uh, and so I, I, we sit and he tells his whole story about how it, you know, had its ups and downs and, you know, he hasn't been there for 70 years. He's, you know, it's obvious, but it's just an, a remarkable story. So definitely I, I'm, I'm partially saying this for our listeners in Australia who might not have a clue this exists. This is a place to do a pilgrimage. If I lived here, I'd probably start trying to do a, you know, yearly film festival. Um, and they do, they survive mostly on doing private events and things like that. Um, so anyway, so we, so we go there, uh, the guy, you know, they thread up the film and he plays live and his playing was so good. Like I'd seen Son of Sheik and it was pretty t- traditional music, but to this one, there's like parts where they're blowing horns and suddenly he's hitting this like crazy high note on the piano. And it's just, it was so exciting. And the film itself, Paul Wegener, I guess is the director. So this is 1920, the movie. Um, he's also the guy who played, the director is the golem, which also blew my mind. He's like in all this giant clay makeup. And he's like, um, and this is definitely, for those who don't know, it's definitely a proto Frankenstein myth. I mean, it's very, yeah. it's a couple, it's a few years before. It's very similar. It's, it's about uh, like, like uh, we've had a hundred, hundreds of years of, uh, you know, Jewish persecution. It's about, uh, the Jewish settlement in, I think it's Prague, 16th century, they are, they're basically a decree comes down saying they are going to be uh, not, not exterminated, but treated very poorly. So the kind of one rabbi who deals in mysticism comes up with this idea of creating the protector myth, which is the golem uh, kind of made out of clay, but he has to do some dark bargaining to make it come to life and it has this cool little heart charm thing. And it's, 
in its centerpiece. And the problem with it at a certain point is it can be work for you. But at a certain point, if certain stars align, this dark entity can take it over. And so it's, you know, it's a pretty traditional thing. I don't know how much if I would have found as exciting if I was just watching this at home, but in this experience, it was like really great. Um, and the golem itself looks really cool. And it's got some really good moments uh, where it's kind of terror. It's a moment where it's just dragging this woman by the hair and you're just like, oh, geez, that's pretty gnarly. Um, but it's got, there's just one image that I'd, I think it might be my favorite image of the year towards the end where if you take the heart out, it, it just becomes like a block of clay and falls to the ground. And this little kid has done, taken the heart out briefly and it's on the ground and there's about 15 little girls all with flowers in the air kind of like frankenstein and they're all just playing around it and sitting on it and be you know with flowers around and it was like the most beautiful image it was just like this moment where i was like wow that's so cool and that's like 1920 like we're literally 101 years ago somebody created something it's quite an epic it it feels it feels big for a 1920 um movie so so it was a super cool experience, and, and I had no idea if my mom was into it or not. But afterwards, she was really excited and really into the whole, you know, myth of the place and stuff. So if if you are looking this up, or if you're going to travel to Australia when the pandemic doesn't make it impossible, it is uh, called the Majestic Theater. It is in a small town called Panoma. Uh, or wow. I have so many questions about the organist now, because I know that in vintage day, like yeah, back in yeah. the, the actual silent cinema times, they would send sheet music along with the, did, yeah, the film. Um, but he I'm did not play now. it. Yeah, he did not. He, that was, is he like composing it himself? Yeah, my mom asked him afterwards and he said he looks at the movie about a week before and he'll just throw it, put it on once and get some cues. And, and he's been doing it just so long that he has a natural sense. But it was so dramatic that it felt like he was following sheet music. There wasn't a there wasn't a single beat where he was off. Not one second where I would have been like, "Oh, that didn't sound right." It, it's I know, want that, a uh, movie on that guy. I oh mean, yeah, no. Insane. If I lived here for sure, I'd want to make one of those short form documentaries on the place and him because it. it and maybe there is. I'll, I'll have to do some research now. But this is so. This is the second time in a decade that I've been here. But this this was you know, and it was also just on a day where we needed that kind of distraction, and it mm-hmm. was it's really special, you know. So um, that is yeah, the Golem at a silent movie theater, and and so cool. Like we, obviously, LA for years has had the silent movie theater, which had become Cine Family back in the day. But it again, a long time ago, they stopped playing the silent films. Silent films, and it's a shame because I think it's kind of cool. even if it's just once a month. I love that the fact that somebody can experience how things used to be. It's yeah. it's very cool. Um, so anyway, that was my my cool experience of the trip. Oh, that is awesome. Holy shit. Um, well, I'll say quickly that I decided randomly to rewatch Lara the White Worm last night because it's okay. on Amazon Prime right now. Nice. That movie, it is so much campier than I remember yeah. it. I don't think I've seen it since I was probably in college. Like, I love yeah. it. I remembered it being highly sexual, uh, really religious, um, but it is so kind of over the top campy. It is this wonderful mix of like classic folk mythos with like flashy cars and blowing things up and it's um and airplanes and it's i don't remember any of that that's crazy yeah i I just do remember some of the camp i definitely because when i started i was probably just at an age where i was like what like i didn't fully i don't think that's russell ready ken russell (laughs) yeah i mean like it's got those ken russell like breaks of like okay you've been bit by a snake and now there's like jesus dancing on a cross and this woman with this giant phallus shaking it at a nun and you know there's all of that standard ken russell what the fuck's going on stuff but then there's like there's this dream sequence on a plane um with two girls fighting that is just hilarious and like ken russell just you're watching his psyche on screen 
Um, so yeah, but the, while that's on Amazon Prime, I at least wanted to give it a plug yeah. because if you're just looking for something that is a story and concept and style that you're never going to see again, that is um, Lair of the White Worm from Vestron. Um, but I, I don't think this is going to come up on your top 10 list. So I'm going to go ahead and say I watched Meander. No, yeah, know. exactly. It's not going to come. I knew it wasn't. Oh, so this one was uh, 2021 put out by Gravitas Ventures. Um, this one, it's, it didn't make my top 10, but it was good enough that I really wanted to give it a mention. There's yeah. something really fun and smart. This is a French film. Um, Matthew Turry is the director. And the whole concept is that this woman wakes up. It's kind of cube-like, I have to say. like It's a very modern, updated version of cube. She wakes up in this weird jumpsuit with this bracelet on in this tube. And she's like, I don't remember how I got here. I was abducted. What the fuck's going on? And she quickly realizes that each one of these tubes has like traps and puzzles and things that she has to solve and maps that she has to follow because every so many minutes, the tubes fill with flame. And if she hasn't figured it out, she will burn to death. And so it's her going through these kind of increasingly more difficult series of tubes. This was everything I love about horror because you don't know what's going on. You're slowly piecing things together. She's slowly remembering things. There's things in the tube that she's discovering that are related to her life that is making her say, wait, is it something to do with this or with this? And it goes from there. Um, this one, it, you could see that it was low budget, much like Cube. You could tell how kind of, you know, it was super high concept, low production. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't even mean to say that the way that it sounds, because the production value on this was still good. It wasn't like you were watching cheap effects or anything like that. I was still like, dude, those tubes are pretty elaborate still. I've approached it much in the same way I did Cube, where I was like, you may only have one cube, but goddamn, you made it look good every single time. Um, but this one, it was just clever. And there was never a point that I was not interested in what was going on or where it was headed. Um, so I wanted to give it uh, at least a mention. This is, I watched it on Amazon. I think I maybe paid $2.99 for it. Mm. So it was, if you're into like the cube kind of puzzle movies of not knowing why you're there and then slowly figuring it out, um, the real kind of self-contained puzzle, this was actually a really interesting one. So that is Meander, which is a shitty title um, for something that's kind of high impact and and really kind of yeah. you know, a, a tense thriller. Meander is not a great title, but that's okay. Yeah, you probably shouldn't name your movie. film uh, Wishy Washy. You know, it's not. Yeah, a good exactly. Well, I'm going to make it. a movie called Wishy Washy. And you're not gonna even. Yeah, I was even. Um, I was doing our final days of post production on. Um, I can't even say it. The name of the new yeah. film that I have yeah. coming up in the spring. Um, but I had watched this, and then the next day went in and was like, I watched Meander last night, and everybody was like, "That's a bad title." Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Wishy Washy, but the film itself. Pretty interesting, especially if you're into like your trap movies. Yes. Number one rule with titles, in my opinion, and I think you'll agree, is never do a title that is going to be so easy for a reviewer to make that the review mm-hmm. of your movie. Like this film meanders. This one, like it happens so often <laughs> and the reviewers cannot help themselves when you've given them a word in your title. You know, I can't remember. I think the worst I saw it was a few years ago. The one I never saw it because of the reviews. I think it was Renee Zellweger horror film called the, or some no somebody Kate Beckinsale called the Disappointments Room. And I just remember seeing the title and going, "Oh, you're fucked!" Like, oh god. And of course, every review was like, "It lives up to the title." It's just don't. Yeah. So find some weirder title. Um, I have a couple. So I have a couple of Christmas ones that I could lump together and be really quick on. One of them I might leave off this if it's coming on. 
Is it going to come up on a? It's going to come up. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Because yeah. it's really a fun assuming movie. we're talking about the same one. Yeah, yes, I think so. If I told you that I liked it and then you watched, yeah, it. Okay. you had recommended it okay. to me. It so I'm going to only bad. mention two of these, and then one we'll talk about soon. But it was just funny. This wasn't. These were the first horrors I watched on this. You know, it took me a few days, uh, and these were all brand new movies, and they were all Christmas related. And I had no clue when I started watching these that they were all connected. So the first one I watched. Um, is called Silent Night, and it's not the slasher film. This is actually a pretty high-brow production because um, mm-hmm. it has Kira Knightley, Matthew Good from Stoker, Annabella Wallace, who I had no idea it was her the whole movie. She's this blonde kind of airhead character. She is the star of Malignant, and she looked totally different in English, and she's English in this. So this is a British film. I think you would really like this because, well, it's hard to know. We'll see where it goes, but I don't want to say too much, but it's basically like, it feels like a lifetime Christmas movie at the start. <laughs> and so it's pitched real bit like big, like everyone's singing Christmas carols. And literally I knew it had a genre bending, but I would have stopped watching it after five. I would have been like, no, I'm not doing this. But in Kira Knightley and everyone's singing, they're going to have this big Christmas gathering. All their f- best friends, families are all going to come to this country house and you're like, okay, and, and it seems kind of goofy. I didn't even know what subgenre this was when I pushed play. I had no clue. Um, but I, lo- I like Matthew Good and Karen Knightley's a good actress. So uh, they're all gathering all these people, and their son seems a little like he's questioning a lot of things. I'm like, what's going on? 20 minutes in. And, and if you want to know nothing, you're going to have to just push skip. Like, if you really don't want to know what the hook of this movie is. But if you, I won't promise not to go too far. It's Melancholia Christmas Carol. Everyone's getting together because everyone in the world is about to die. And there's, and the British government has told you at 12 o'clock, everyone should take the pill, the pill. And if you take the pill, you will all die peacefully. If you do not, this gas that has been emitted in the world is going to make you suffer and awful pain for the rest of your life so you're watching 20 minutes of happy lifetime christmas and suddenly they go and when somebody goes he's watching a youtube thing about the pill and i'm like what is this and then suddenly you realize that's why they're all getting together they're all gonna end their lives together and there's all these kids and family and i was like this is kind of bonkers and the way it's done is really like quite um kind of sad kind of funny it's definitely dark comedy a lot of it and it's got some horror beats and it was actually really well done it's it's by a woman camille griffin uh, wrote and directed, and I think um, it might have been produced by um, the guy who uh, made Layer Cake. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that Matthew Vaughn, I think, had a little bit of uh, cred behind it to get it made. But no, I think this is if somebody's looking for like that alternate version of a Christmas movie right now, this could play well. It's kind of depressive because it's like, like they said, it's very much like Melancholia in the second act. But I, I don't know, I kind of liked it. I, I thought it was a kick and very much a surprise. I didn't know what that movie was going to be. So that's one that's quite a big movie. This it didn't feel cheap. It felt like a big production. I actually saw the trailer for this go up a while ago and I didn't even realize it was out yet. Like this, yeah, I remember seeing the trailer from this come through like deadline or something probably back in October and had no idea this had come out. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it was kind of a su- fun surprise. And uh, that one, uh, yeah, paid for on Amazon. And then the other one just really briefly is a super indie one that I also really like, especially the actress. Um, this is, I'd, I'd seen the picture and didn't realize it was Christmas related. It's called Double Walker. Um, by Colin West, who's an Ohio uh, indie filmmaker and has made a couple films in Ohio. He co-wrote this with the star of it called Sylvie Mix, who is now, I'm like convinced I need to work with this actress. She's really interesting on screen. So it's a very simple movie. She just wakes up. She's now like, a, let's say she's 20. Uh, she wakes up and she's she's wearing some clothes. She's not naked, but she's basically underdressed in the middle of 
the forest in winter and standing in snow and some guy comes across her and she doesn't talk really and she seems kind of uh kind of you know strange and we quickly come to realize that she was a little girl who uh was killed on christmas um and her parents are across town having the funeral and now she's she doesn't understand why she's like 15 years older but she's standing in the middle of a forest and this guy takes her home and you quickly realize he might have had something to do with what happened to her and she starts getting this like quiet revenge on all these different people and it's a very minimal like very simple very restrained minimal movie um what it's what, taking so much not i'm sorry elric seeing me like crack up yeah. laughing i was trying not to interrupt you um colin west is one of my students really yeah from <laughs> ohio a dude yes. from ohio he's at usc he was in my horror class he oh. was in my he was intro level directing with me How long and ago? um Three years. Oh well, that's great. Hey, that's great. Yeah, it works. I was I was actually supposed to do the Q and A at at the screening, um, but I ended up. It was at a time that I think we were doing some type of Halloween event, so I was ah. already booked. Oh, that's um, so cool. But no, Collins. Collins, one of my students. Well, no, that's good because it, it, this not is, anymore. He graduated last year. Yeah, this um, is but the yeah, kind of this was indie. it's his first. This is his first feature film. That's what I was going to say. This is the kind of indie I would always recommend to people to try to make as a first one because it's like mm-hmm. doable. But what? It, but and, and what? It's not going to satisfy everyone, right? But what it's doing well, it's doing mood well. It's doing the things it can do. It's doing performance well. It's doing uh, the regional, you know, thing that it has going for it. So, so yeah, no, it's, I really enjoyed it, and it's co-written by this. This, like I said, the the main actress who I think's mm-hmm. really got something on screen, and she starts piecing it together as she goes. But it's much more. It's probably closest to Ghost Story you know, mm-hmm. from a couple of years ago in terms of the art house side. And then it's got a couple moments of actual, like, you know, visceral violence where she's going about her thing. But a lot of it's just like her trying to take it in and understand what's happened to her. Um, and as you know, the kind of thing, there's a certain thing that I'm going to be working on that, it, you know, has a little bit of that kind of flavor too. So I thought I'm always interested in how people approach that. So yeah, this is what, this is definitely one. It's again, it's on Amazon prime, um, you know, for a few bucks and, you know, cool to see regional filmmaking yeah. you know, uh, happening. So no, Colin, stuff, Colin. Colin is phenomenal, and now I've got to email him and tell him. Tell me he's going to get a. You shot. started unbeknownst to me raving about the film, yes. and then suddenly I was like, "Wait, I know that guy." So, yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, that's, no, that's awesome. always good. Yeah, grad school at USC. Yeah, or you know, come to my school. <laughs> <laughs> Equally awesome. Um, so I will also plug Sensor, which I don't think is going to be on your top 10 list. And I'll just cover this one quickly um, because there were parts of Sensor that I really liked and parts that I was not as into. You saw this one, right? So Sensor, I have two films at the end of when we do our top 10s. So I think both are going to miss out that are big movies that will probably be tops of most people's lists. Mm-hmm. And I think both of them are ones I need one more viewing to feel like how. But for me, Sensor, the first half of it, was so the movie I wanted. Yep. And the movie I would have kept watching. And, and even when I was like 15, I remember writing an, a plot idea that had a New Zealand censor thing like that. And so I was really into it. And then when it kind of took the... The turn. You know, the, the turn of a dark kind of revenge kind of... Heart, becoming a movie within a movie. I just was outside of it a bit. It didn't mean it wasn't cool. I just wasn't as in. 
Yeah, where, um, and I, this is not a new comparison. I saw it in a couple of the reviews that this was the Barbarian Sound Studio of Video Nasties, where yeah. she becomes, it's about a, someone who's in the UK whose job it was to censor the video nasties, to watch them and then say, you know, cut this rape scene, cut the eye removal, or in some cases, you know, ban the film entirely. Um, and that she becomes obsessed with the material from seeing it so much to the point where she begins to think that she is seeing her sister who went missing like 15 years prior in the movies. Um, and then it takes turns from there. So whereas Barbarian Sound Studio gets increasingly more kind of twisted, demented, and disjointed as it goes, this seems like it starts there and then gets more grounded um, for me. And I, I, I kind of wanted it switched. So I liked the plot structure of Barbarian more, how it kind of paced out the mental approach to it. This, I loved the first half. The first half, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, yeah, there's shots where it's just like following her walking that I was so on the edge of my seat with her mm-hmm. psychology. And it's more like one of the, you know, like a um, Andrea Arnold Red Road or a movie that's like, it's more like these kind of art house movies. And then the second half just feels to be like it's... Now, that said, I think on the second viewing, maybe we'll find... That some of those connections deepened, but yeah. First and I like, did like the way that they shot the second half. I thought yeah. that the second half, I liked the cinematography better um, because it has a very clear, different tonality to it. But that said, this is still definitely worth a viewing. I know I've already seen this pop up on a number of critics' top 10 lists. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, Especially so English, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one that is getting a, a good amount of accolades. It did not, um, you know, it was it, because our top 10 lists are a lot of times our personal faves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't say that they're always the best made movies, but they're personal faves. Yeah. Um, so this one barely missed for me, but it was still doing something really interesting. And I was fascinated the entire way through directed by Prano Bailey Bond. Um, and this is censor. I think I got this off shutter think i may have have, like might have hit hulu hulu okay i think hulu owns it and it's so it's free on hulu there was some place i watched this streaming so yeah censor definitely interesting enough to check it out yeah no totally i i I, that's an interesting sometimes i'm interested when me and you fall on the same place on some of these so it's Mm -hmm. but but the other one i'll be very curious to see if it doesn't end up making it but um okay well we'll get there in a moment um anything else new are you ready to start counting down I think I am ready to count down. I've got some books, but I'm going to include at the end kind of my top um, books of 2021 as well. And then I've got a fuck ton of runner ups. But yeah, yeah, I've got a few runner ups and a couple like a couple that haven't come out properly. So I'll mention mm-hmm. them there. And so yeah, we can we can do that. And so we'll we'll take the traditional approach that if one of us has it higher, we will. Um, I call this the. I can climb higher Gilbert rules. So yeah. I call gonna... it the Bromley rule because I think Patrick's uh, if this movie did it first, but but we've been <laughs> okay, looking it off for years. But we can we'll call it the Bromley. The That's Bromley. Fine. So so if if you get to that point, you just say I Bromley you and then we I Bromley on. you. If you Bromley okay. me, um Oh man, that's and then, kind of, that's kind of sexy Bromleying. Yeah, <laughs> I will say there are a couple that I watched this past week that I was like debating for my top ten. That I have a feeling I didn't discuss them because I know you're going to put them on your top ten. But I have thoughts. I have thoughts, so okay. um, I'll save it for because I've been binging everything I could from 2021. Um, so, but I will save them as we get into your. I did so. pretty good this year. I will say overall, like I kept a, I, I kept made it private in the last couple weeks, but I had kept it up. Every horror film I watched this year that was a new film, I had been 
ranking for the whole year on Letterboxd. Oh and God, I, you're way too fucking prepared. Well, no, but I, I threw it out and I and I changed a lot of the rankings. But what I realized is I'd seen most of the new. I'd say the only movie that I'll put a caveat up here that I'm dying to see um, that didn't that we didn't get to see before was Antlers. Antlers, and we both had films, that yeah, moment that I didn't and I, see. I haven't seen that pop up on too many critic top 10 lists. I wasn't too much yeah. like, holy shit, we need to see that. But I um, want to see But it. Yeah. it was the one that I was like, man, I wish that would have come out so I, kind of yeah. outside. I could have checked it out. for this. And I haven't seen Nightmare Alley yet. And obviously that's like probably has horror elements without being a horror. Mm-hmm. It's probably more noir, but I'm very excited when I get back to the States. That's the first thing. I feel thing like I we see. need to see that together because yeah, we saw it. the night treatment yeah. of the original. Well, the so, new Bev yeah. is playing a black and white version in middle <gasps> of January. Oh, so maybe that might be the one to start with. Just to, I think so. Um, okay, cool. Well, yeah. Okay, this will be, this will be a mixture. I, I will say up front, I've gone more. Tr- I know you talked about maybe going a little crazier with how you, you know, the kind of things you reference. Ten hard things. I did go mostly traditional movie on mine because I'm. A- oh God. I went pure baller decisions. So you're all over the place. Okay. <laughs> I am everywhere. Right. No, and I will point. also I will also say in advance, I mixed TV and film. So I based it much more of like my top 10 horror projects yeah. from yeah. 2021. Yeah. I did keep books and graphic novels separate, but I've bought okay. both because it, it's gotten so flexible, like TV, TV series, TV I don't even know, like, you know, what is Netflix stuff now, especially if it's only there to do like a six episode run um, and things like that. So I was really open with my definition of like what was going on my top 10 list this year. This is what happens Um, when I leave the country. (laughs) No one's there to watch you. No one's there's a rain. Two years ago, didn't you put a single episode of Twin Twin Peaks? Because it's the best movie of the year. <laughs> TV show. Okay. Who said anything about it being a TV show? I had no okay. idea there was a show called Twin Peaks. I just thought it was a movie I stumbled upon. It was so good. Um, I am. I am going to kick off our top ten no, with no, one no. that I can guarantee that you didn't put on your list. Not only that, you didn't watch it. I'm guessing, and it's a damn shame because I guarantee you forgot to go back and watch it. Is it? Is it something to do with jeans or not? No, but you should have watched that one. (laughs) Um, But that said, this is Super Deep is my number 10. I remember you talking about it, yeah. Super Deep, it stuck with me. And it's one that I want to watch again. So I definitely had to put it on my top 10. And a lot of these, like this one, I want to call more attention to it because I don't think anybody saw it except, you know, a handful of us. Um, It is set in 1984 about a Russian research team that starts digging below the circuit the surface to find out what is inside like the world's deepest borehole. And so it's an expedition film. It's kind of the same setup of like, okay, we're going underwater type, you know, miners film um, where you've got this expedition team, but it gets full body horror. Mm. Like what they find down there, it gets so like Cronenbergian, almost the thing ish to where it goes. Um, this is, it was just such a cool concept. Uh, last year, actually, I had a Russian film on my list as well. I had, um, Sputnik. Sputnik was on my top 10 list last year. And this one, um, I loved just as much. It's just mm. this beautiful mix of like science fiction and body horror and what I wish we were making more of in the States. Okay. Um, so at number 10 on my list, the super deep. Yeah. I definitely remember you talking about it and it had a cool post and I think it just got easier to see. I think it maybe mm-hmm. popped on shutter or somewhere. So I will definitely watch this one now. It's good. Uh, number 10, I don't think you've seen yet. Um, and so for my number nine and 10, I had like, 
you know, 10 possible movies that could have gone into those two spots. You always kind of have your random, but like you, I want more people to see this. I think this might be my favorite movie, favorite pandemic feeling movie. I don't think it was written with the pandemic in mind, but it feels like it. And that is um, we need to do something uh, by Sean King O'Grady, but from the Max Booth, the third novella. Um, mm-hmm. This one has like one of my favorite family. I mean, look, we all, especially those of us with a family we're we had a period of this where we're stuck in a small space with them, uh, having to try to do everything together where you're totally over each other and, and some bad times can happen. This is like the worst nightmare version of that. Basically a bad storm is coming and most of this movie takes place in their bathroom. They lock themselves in their family bathroom. They think it's just going to be a bad thunderstorm coming through or a tornado or something. Uh, it's uh, Pat Healy is the dad, which is one of my favorite dark, crazy characters of the year in this film. Uh, Vanessa, um, the actress from Eyes Wide Shut, who's fantastic, uh, whose last name I've just forgotten is, is the mom and Sierra McCormick from Vast of Night is the girl um, and, and the little brother. And they're basically just, you can tell they don't, they're not in great shape. The husband and wife are definitely towards the end of this, their relationship. There is a real pressure. The girls like, you know, kind of goth, and acting out and you know um and it just gets crazier and crazier as it goes and it keeps and it goes to a really surreal place and it's never about one thing and i think that's why i liked it It, it, there is no storm like there's a storm for a while and then there's is it an apocalypse is it are there dinosaurs that like who the hell knows while you're watching this it's a little less effective when it starts kind of giving a bit of an explanation which might be something to do with this girl and her girlfriend doing Mm -hmm. something in the dark magic world which is kind of quite different from the a story and you only get a few scenes of that um but the feeling in the room of this nightmare that's happening to them there is a jump scare that happens where one of the characters puts their hands out to talk to something familiar to them out of the door they can open the door just a little bit because there's a tree blocking it then they can't get out and it's one of the best jump scares ever in a movie and it's also funny like you end up laughing from it it's one of those jump scares so for that reason alone uh i'll just tell people the line is i'm a good boy you will find yourself uh dying for that line um but it has my one of my favorite moments of the whole year is pat healy guzzling down mouthwash drinking it like it is the only drink left in the room and it feels to me like the most pandemic moment like somebody loses their mind and just sits there guzzling uh, mouthwash uh so this one i i i really do like it I, it stuck with me i know a lot of people kind of more mixed maybe on it or think it's good but i think it's a little better than that i think it's one that people might be watching for this thinking about this period we lived or living through i guess still thank i didn't uh, see this one yeah no i think you'd get a kick out of it so and this That's is we need to do we something. We need to do something. Yeah. And it was probably on Amazon, I think. It's a Excellent. debut feature too. And again, it does that smart debut feature, one location, you know, mostly mm-hmm. kind of film. So that's my okay. ten. My number nine is the vigil. Okay, it will be higher. So okay. I bromley you. You bromley I, my I, vigil. I have to say it sexually though, because whenever you invoke somebody like Patrick, I bromley you. Okay. okay, now we move forward. Holding on my number nine, The Vigil has been Bromley'd. Okay. <laughs> it's been Bromley'd. Uh, so What's I'll your do my number, number nine? Uh, my number nine is a movie that would normally be left just off my list, genre-wise, and even if you just read about it, it's the kind of movie that, especially me, that I tend to get, okay, yeah, and I drop it off. But this one is just, they just did everything so well, and that is Travis Stevens, Jacob's Wife. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those movies that, on paper, I, it's not for me. You know, it's like it's like what you the classic. Oh, it's kind of a little lighter and horror comedy and blah blah blah. And usually, I would enjoy that, but not think about it ever again. And usually, it wouldn't make my top ten. But everyone in this 
project has you feel where it's been made where the source material has been pushed that little extra effort the heart of barbara crampton's producing on this and like really you know seeing this project through many different hands and making sure she actually got to say something with it about Mm -hmm. her life as a woman i felt really like just as of a mother and and a wife and somebody just you know less listened to at a certain point um her performance is fantastic larry fessenden's uh, performance is great and their portrayal of a marriage you know adrift but hitting a critical moment and having to come together uh about vampirism you know where she she basically goes from you know disaffected hasn't got much of a voice in her own life and then becomes a powerful uh vampire who starts uh kind of kicking ass and becoming rather sexy in that in that process Uh, it just had a lot of things in it that i thought were really well done i thought the master character who i won't ruin for people who haven't seen it is super really so fun yeah fun and kind of creepy and nosferatu-ish um you know and uh, you know fun couple friends of ours sarah lynn and mark kelly have like support roles so that was fun I, i just think it's a film that in anyone else's hands but this team would have been just okay and it's like everyone elevated it to be this thing that will probably be a bit of a classic of that subgenre. So, so really do recommend people if they haven't seen this yet, this is a really good time. Um, and, you know, fun gore as well. So recommend Jacob's Way. I'm so glad you put this on your list because I started to put it on mine, but because the same team just made my film. Like I just made a film with the same production team, Bob Portal, Joe Wicker, and Morgan Peter Brown. And and Barbara Crampton produced mine as well. Um, Same exact team. I was like, am I biased? I might be biased because I think they're amazing. And I even, I had the same DP as Jacob's wife, um, Dave uh, Matthews. Um, Well, and this subgenre is also more your bag normally. Like this is the kind of one I would expect of made maybe your your spot and for me i was just like i don't know they just they just nailed it yeah the hilarity of it how smart it is it's making social commentary through the humor yeah this was i love this and i love this team so i felt weird including it on my list because i am so close to them now um but yeah that just knocked it out of the park yeah so i'm I'm glad yeah i'm glad we're getting it on there so that's jacob wife at number nine Okay, moving on to my number eight, Elric had been alluding to before, because this is the Christmas film that Elric had texted me while he was in Australia and said like, hey, you need to check this out. This is a really cool, interesting thing I've never seen before. And I watched it and it came in at number eight on my top 10 list. It was like an instant, like, holy shit, this goes on there. And that is the advent calendar currently on Shutter. This is a um, Belgium film, I believe. French, Belgium, something like that. Yeah, I think it's Belgium. Yeah. Um, directed by Patrick uh, Ridgemont, Ridgemont, I want to say. Yeah, it looks like Yeah. I have never seen a film with this setup before, and I thought it was such a cool idea. A girl, um, loner, does not like being around people. She's paraplegic in a wheelchair. Um, Her best friend comes back from a business trip in Germany and brings her this like crazy elaborate advent calendar. And um, the advent calendar, it's like this giant wooden box, and it says on the back, like, open one door each day inside, you will find candy. If you don't eat the candy, you will will die. If you try to get rid of the advent calendar, you will die. If you don't do what the advent calendar tells you to do, you will die. And immediately they're like, oh my God, this is funny. How fun is this? She opens it up. She eats the first candy and it sets something in motion. 
And all of a sudden she starts realizing that every single time she eats a piece of the candy, that something in her life changes and it starts out really small and gets bigger. And you realize that um, there's this demon head that pops up out of the advent calendar, which is like the most twisted, hilarious part. Like the beginning, it's it's funny. It's like, what the fuck is this thing? Um, this this head called Ike hops up out and is like, he runs the advent calendar. And when you're done and you're about to close the door, you slam his head back down and close the door for that day. And you realize very quickly that there's something else going on with this calendar. This goes places I was not expecting. It gets so clever, so smart. And there are some really fucking good jump scares. And there's, um, I'll, I'll say the supernatural elements of this, the gore, the way that the creatures were composed. It was all just really well done. This ended up um, definitely being one of my favorite watches of the year. It reminds me quite a lot of another one that I think is going to be on our list in terms of structure that also was French. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of the way the monster and creature stuff work, you know, uh, look, this will probably be even higher in my rating just once I have a little distance because I had just seen it. Um, mm-hmm. But instantly, okay, so I'll tell people this and you'll appreciate this because you made one. Uh, I thought this was from the title going to be an anthology, Christmas anthology yep. because every door you could have had a different direction. And I said to myself, if that's a Christmas anthology, you couldn't pay me $1 million now to watch it because I can't do it. I mean, I, you made a good one, but I can't watch any more of the I, same kind of topic. Uh, I, I I made one. Yeah, um, I and there's of, parts of it. Parts of it I love. and But yeah. there's a lot of Christmas anthologies. It just feels there. like there's, there's a lot a of things lot. to using those kind of... And it's perfect for that gimmick. And so it, I started reading the thing under it and I realized, oh no, this is made by one person. And then I just, I think I must, must have caught like at least one review that said, no, this is like really surprisingly good. And that's the thing. It's really well made. It doesn't feel, Mm -hmm. it's not cheap. I think what our problem is we often think indie, you know, it's cheaper and this is not, not that kind of movie. So, um, so yeah, I I think this is a a really cool movie. So I'm glad it made the real list. Yeah. This was by far like one of my fave watches of the year. One where I was just captivated in and just was completely enthralled with how original the story was. Like I'd never even seen something like this done before. And it was just really clever. And even the ending, um, I was just like, that is how you have to end this. If it had ended any other way, I think I would have been pissed off. Yeah. Um, So yeah. So this is the advent calendar currently on shutter, or I think you can get it off Amazon prime for like a buck 99, but it's on shutter right now. Yeah, you should have Shudder if you're listening to this by now. Yeah, I would think so, <laughs> but just in case, pays itself off pretty easy. Um, <laughs> okay, my number eight could be, and it could be as high as like three. To be honest, it's it. I liked it so much, and I don't know why it's fallen to eight. And I have a feeling it's going to be higher in yours, and it's the exact movie I was just talking about, a movie called Candisha. Ah, uh, you've been Bromley'd. Oh, I just got Bromley'd so hard. <laughs> okay, so let's <laughs> let, let's hold off on Candisha and see where it ends up. Okay, so that is taking us to number seven. Um, My number seven is by far my most traditional title on this list, I have to say. It's one that I didn't expect to to love nearly as much as I did. But um, looking back, I was like, God, I just really had fun with that. And this is Fear Street 1978. Okay, so did you break them up into like, and you just put it, you're just- I did, I broke them up. Uh, Will they be on different parts of your list or you're just putting one Fear Street? 
Just the one. Oh yeah, good. So am I. So so I am totally lying by not putting this on my list because the reality. I just hope that you would because I. But the reality is, it's in the top three or four like fun yeah. things I experienced this year. Fear Street kicked ass. So yeah, I'm glad. So I it. figured I needed. To, I couldn't put them all in one lump sum. Yeah. I felt like is that weird for some reason? I was I, so I was like, let me pick my fave of the bunch, and the yeah. second one was by far my fave of the bunch. And it's weird seeing the critical reviews because it's varying so much. But I think that we can agree that like all three were good. Yeah, I like um, that. From that, I really liked 1978 because it was the classic 1970s slasher for me because it was set at Camp Nightwing. It was still really involved with everything that was going on, but I just had such a good time with that one. Yeah. Um, and I'm not usually like a, a slasher that's not usually kind of the subgenre that I gravitate to. I love them and I watch them. Um, but usually I'm like, ooh, advent calendar, demons, weird yeah. supernatural thing, possessed pants. That's kind of where I'll head. Um, but yeah, 1978 Fear Street was an absolute blast. So this is uh, my number seven. <laughs> Yeah, I liked all of them. I don't. I, I might have put the first one on mine. I don't know where I. W- I probably would have just said all three. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad it's on the list and it deserves it. It was definitely one of the biggest. Like for one director to have made all three films, that's one oh, of yeah. the accomplishments of the year. I'd say um, my number seven is one I know you're more mixed on, but I I really think this is the visionary indie film of the year in terms of just somebody making something for a low budget that will stand out, and that is uh, Come True uh, by Anthony Scott Burns, aka Pilot Priest. Um, you know, it's like, like, even if you have some quibbles about story in terms of just how this is put together, the visual, like, like it's the first film since maybe beyond the black rainbow where I've seen something I've gone like, okay, I sense the handmade quality, but what you're doing with how you're using score and visuals Mm -hmm. uh, and knowing he's also the DP is so impressive for the budget. Um, but it, and also I love Julia Sarah Stone's performance as the lead girl, who's basically somebody who's kind of in and out of home. Um, you're not really sure what her backstory is, but she's often sleeping in parks, staying away from her mom. She ends up uh, going into a sleep um, a sleep study that they start to basically see these almost dream demons, almost this other parallel dimension starts opening up through her, uh, through these experiences and through these dreams of what she's seeing. And it has, it, it feels to me like there's a little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street, a little bit of Hellraiser. If this, if you were going to reboot them as an indie, this could yep. have been the way to do it. And I think if if it tells us anything, it tells us that Anthony Scott Burns is ready for a studio budget to to take us on a ride. You know, like this is a guy who's ready, ready to roll. So it would be a real shame if they don't do it. Um, again, I think I know people. You know, there'll be people mixed on some of the the story stuff, but I, I really did stay with me as a vision, and so I got to give him some love for that. And I have to say, this one grew on me, even though that my first viewing, I loved the first half. I didn't like where it went in the second half as much. Some of the visuals of just like her walking through darkness and the the one eye patch and things like that, it's grown on me over the year. She's a really Um, good character. Yeah, she's a great character. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, but I, I loved the first half. I just kind of wanted it to go other places in the second. But that said, it was still for an indie feature. That was still real tight. Yeah. And if you haven't seen his Father's Day uh, short that is part of the Holidays anthology. It's amazing. It's probably the creepiest, one of the creepiest shorts yeah. I've ever seen, just in terms of mood. So, so yeah, let's hope that he gets that next shot um, yeah. after Come True at number seven. 
So my number six is um, one that we had previously bromlied, oh. and this is Candisha by directors Alexandre Bastillo and Julian Mori. It's, um, it's their one is, movie that makes our list, not the other one this year. <laughs> I know. Everybody is so excited about Deep House. And Deep House, it was amusing. It was yeah, not, not my top ten. Sense. It didn't have as much plot as Candisha, and I wish Candisha was getting more attention, yeah. so it was really important for me to put this on my list dude the monster effects in this movie yeah, there are sick. so many crazy jump scares in this and it's and it's like it's so hard to find a great modern urban mm-hmm. legend it's one of those things yep. that it gets lost and this is what they've done they've taken almost like a folk story and brought yep. it into an urban environment of paris with these young girls who just kind of spray paint and hang out and tell ghost stories and then suddenly one of them you know talks about this kind of revenge myth the candisha uh because her uh, she has an abusive ex-boyfriend and suddenly this thing comes to life and starts killing the people in their life. And it's and it's it's kind of like kind of like Candyman. It's like you usher in this thing and now it's now you can't stop it. You can't put the genie yeah. back in the bottle. Um, but it looks great. And I think people are really sleeping on this movie. It might be the, the sleeper of the year that yeah, people aren't this, talking about. This one has great social messaging because it is about abuse. But Candisha, the character who comes to life, who is doing the killing and it um, kills all men. Um, and so it becomes kind of this like gray area of what's good, what's bad when you're surrounded by douchey dudes, you know, who rises to the occasion. And so this, it was such a powerful film. And my favorite takeaway from this movie was how the monster changes. I mean, it's not just like, here's how Freddy looks and he's going to look like Freddy through the rest of the movie. Candisha, the, the monster, the legend changes with each kill and becomes stronger. And so every single time you see it, it is vastly different from the previous one. And there are some of them that were fucking terrifying. Well, it has the best, I mean, the other best mm-hmm. kind of jump scare monster moment of the year is just when it's in a house and that's all I'll say. But it's, it does yeah. not look the way you are expecting in that moment. And it is quite the moment. So yeah, now that's one that had no fan for, I, and I, when I watched mm-hmm. it, you know, a few months ago on Shutter, I'd never heard anything. And it looked, to be honest, it just looked like, um, the last Toby Hooper film where it's like about that kind of like a gin myth. The gin. I thought it was just going to be a, a woman ghost and yeah. so much more when it, when it gets rolling. So. Oh yeah. Awesome. Hopefully we, by both having it on our list, somebody will push play. Yes. Um, uh, my number six, probably my most conventional movie of the year. It's pretty vanilla. Uh, it's called Titan uh, by Julia Ducarno. <laughs> It's it's just what you expect when you put on a movie. Um, I did see this the best way you could, which was the first night of Beyond Fest. Uh, I almost didn't put it on my list. I was going to save it for my non-horror list because I don't know what the hell it is. This is if there's a list of tick the box, I would be ticking other category because it doesn't do any one thing. It does mm-hmm. a million things. Uh, what's funny about it is, and I know you just saw it recently because I saw it pop up. Um, I did. It doesn't. You know, I don't love, like, I, I don't think, like, even though it's the it one con and it's going to be an Oscar nominee for France, I still think Raw is actually the better movie in some ways. I agree. That's yeah. why Titan is not on my list. I did not like it nearly as much as Raw. But, uh, but I, it's because I was less emotionally engaged, but I love wild cinema. And this is a sign that cinema can just go so many places. And it is a wild experience. So seeing it on the big screen was so interesting, but it's also so many different genres. Like you get the serial killer film, the body horror film, emotional family trauma story. You get a bit of Cronenberg's crash and you get a big dose that no one was talking about in the early reviews that I kept on going, come on guys, demon seed big time. Um, oh, it is demon. Yeah. It's demon seed by the yeah. end. Yeah, and, and so, but this is a movie I think everyone has, you know, you still have to see it. It has my favorite performance of the year 
outside Nick Cage and Pig is actually the man in this, not uh, Vincent Linden, the middle-aged father mm-hmm. character. When he enters this movie, I became a lot more... The first half's fun and it's crazy and wild. But when this character comes in and he is like this needy, you know, grief-stricken father who's like buffer than anything and he's like middle-aged fireman chief and, you know, shooting his body full of like, you know, uh, drugs. There was something about his performance that was so incredibly tender that it became a whole different kind of movie for me. Um, Her performance is also pretty wild and, and, you know, kind of hard to define. But yeah, this is hard to pin down kind of movie. It's, you know, somebody, a kid who ends up in an accident with her father, gets a titanium plate in her head, and then ends up having this very different relationship to uh, cars and uh, kind of metal fetish almost. Mm -hmm. And it does some, you know, strange sexual things, but then it also opens up into a lot of other genre. You really can't just kind of put an easy lasso, but I want more movies like this. And I, it is clear. One thing's clear is that Julia DeCornell will be able to do whatever she wants. And the fact that this is probably as weird as you can do and it's getting huge praise, that's usually a sign that, you know, this person can kind of write their own checks next movie. So I will be very curious to see what direction uh, she takes. And her Q&A was very good. She wasn't just bullshit, like, I want to be weird for weird sake. She knew what everything was. And she, Mm -hmm. you you know, she also knew how indebted to Cronenberg she was. She's like, he is my, you know, he's my guy. So... So anyway, fascinating movie. Could have been higher. I know it'll be number one on a lot of lists. I expect for a lot of uh, movie lists, but it is. I would think so. Not like a lot of other movies. Yeah. Titan. Okay, so we are at five, I and bet this there's gonna is be some doubling ups coming. I I don't know because okay. I don't think you even watched my number five, which breaks my heart. What? Um, and this is Save Yourselves. Yeah. You didn't watch it. Dude, you this movie ruled. No, this movie's so good. And it's really. Scary. Oh, you did? No. And, 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 uh, it's really funny. <laughs> and I really like the man and the woman in it who are really well cast. And actually, I do remember now a little bit. I remember there's a planet no, thing. I don't know. They're vegans. They're vegans. They love meat. What are they? <laughs> I loved it. It's actually my number four. So uh. You suck. Oh, my God. So save yourselves. Okay. This is on Hulu right now. Uh-huh. Um, I call this a horror in the same sense of something like Gremlins or Mars Attacks, where oh. it is. It And I will say this definitely goes more in a horror sense. It has um, some actual gore moments. There's quite a number of uh, there's a very large amount of death in it. Actually, it just it's never the focus of it. Okay. Um, but it is about a um a hipster couple. It's a guy and a girl who are kind of looking for their place in their world. And you weren't too far off when you said vegan, because that's actually one of the jokes is they're like, maybe we should be vegan. Um, I probably remember that from your view or something. (laughs) They're really trying to figure out their place in the world, what they want to do. Do they want, you know, to have kids? Do they want to be hip forever? Do they want to really focus on their jobs that they're just kind of okay with? They don't really know who they are yet. And so um, because they're, they, they consider themselves to be completely addicted to their phones and their jobs, they decide to take this Airbnb weekend in the country and completely detach from everything. And while they are there with their phones turned off, aliens invade. And so all of these things start happening around them that are part of the alien invasion, but they don't realize what's going on. They're just like, oh, that's weird. Why did that? Oh, that must be this thing happening over there. Um, And so it is all about them as a couple and characters. And then this alien thing kind of happening in the background. It is fucking hilarious. I loved this movie so much. This was 
honestly could have been my number one. Um, And it probably was my favorite viewing experience of the year. Just so fun. It has a beautiful ending. It is just not, it's not a heavy film. That's why I put it in the same kind of vein as something that's a little bit lighter. It is just, um, you know, kind of, it's like what we do in the shadows. You go in, or Anna in the Apocalypse. You just go in, it's going to be fun. Um, and it's not heavy, heavy the entire time. So, and the aliens in it are just really clever and fun as well. All right. I'm probably in the right place to see it now. So save yourselves. No, if, if you need just kind of a nice mental break, but you still want something that's just slightly edgy, save yourselves. It's just, it's a blast. And I heard that it has, it's now being turned into a television series. Um, so I hope that is true. I heard that very kind of secondhand at a party. Um, but I, I hope to God that that is true. So yeah, it's, it was just an absolute breath of fresh air. All right. Anything that makes our top fives, you always have to pay attention. I guess I'll watch it now. Um, even though I've seen it, obviously, um, my number five, I will probably have to say it five times. It's Candyman. Candyman. No, uh, Nia DaCosta's Candyman. I really think, uh, you know, this could be anywhere between my five and my one in terms of just like quality filmmaking, uh, how you do a reboot, how you do, or a sequel, uh, however you want to view the film. Obviously, it is a direct sequel in many ways. Um, it is, I was just, you know, there's, there's a couple little niggles that everyone has about things, but, but one, if, if your niggle about this is like that, it's too political or saying you're, you're insane. You know I mean? It's like, this is the movie that it needs to be. It's what it needs to be about. It needs to be about right now. And she just dives right into the center of these things. Mm-hmm. And it's also beautifully made. And it's also the first movie I've seen in a long time. The, the original Candyman holds a really special place for me. I think it's one of the first like adult horror films I saw alone in a theater where I was old enough to like, you know, 14 or 15, whatever, go to a movie in a theater like that. And it was so romantic and the way she made this, then this not, and it's not, never feels nostalgic. That's what's so cool about it. And that's what probably turns off some people who want a retread. This is taking that story and bringing another flavor to it, but extending the, the again, the urban myth of it. But in terms of the visual style and the music, it really transported me. I, I remember having a really strong personal reaction in the theater going, oh, wow, I'm feeling the way I did watching the first film. And I did not feel that way in the sequels. I always had an issue with all the sequels, even the moments I would enjoy because Candyman's in it did not transport me yep. you know, anywhere. But I really think this is a this is a terrific film. I think give it some time. Like I think sometimes people and we've had a crazy year and uh, obviously there's been a lot of uh, you know police violence and a lot of things that are, will feel very close to the story. Give it 10 years, you know, and I think this this film will truly survive the test of time that people will start to return to as, a, as another, you know, classic uh, continuation of the Candyman story. I, I think it's terrific and excited for what, and I think she's in the Marvel world next, actually, from memory, but. Um, oh, that is amazing. Yeah, I believe so. Maybe she's doing Captain Marvel too, actually. I think that's what it was. This is number 12 on my runner-up list. So two from making my top 10. This was um, just an explosive viewing. And I have a feeling that this is one that's going to grow on me. Yeah, no, I I get that feeling too. It's one of those movies. And I think the lead actor, he's really good in this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just didn't write down his name, but I I just found him really as this artist and pulling in this art of the past. I thought that was a really Mm -hmm. smart choice. So again, it's one I'm actually excited to rewatch. Um, and I don't do a lot of rewatching of, of my picks, but that one I'm excited to see again. So that's my number five, Candyman. 
My number four, I guess, is good for watching on a plane. This is the TV series Evil, um, which was one of my discoveries of the year. But then watching the second season definitely made it into my top 10. Oh, cool. Um, The setup of Evil, since Elric's only made it three episodes in. um, But I'm sure you got kind of the rundown. Oh, yeah, I definitely did. um, A priest in training, a techie guru who does not believe in God in any capacity, and a psychotherapist who also does not believe in God in any capacity. Um, She she wavers occasionally, but she's very kind of atheistic. Um, Are hired by the church to evaluate all of their kind of, I'll say, religious events. And sometimes it's like, am I really possessed or this, you know, crazy thing is happening at this statue? Um, You know, this woman has stigmata and things like that. So all of their supposed like weird religious experiences that are happening, the Catholic Church sends this team in and the priest is always like, well, it's probably religious. And then they've also got the psychotherapist and the tech guy to be like, no, that's the air conditioner making that sound and things like that. So the three of them work as a team, but it's a very X-Files approach to it. But it's funny. It's really funny throughout the way that the three characters interact. And she has so many kids. I don't, I didn't remember you telling me that about it, but like that was the part- Four daughters. And I love, I, I kind of love that energy that she yeah. has to deal with because her partner's, I mean, in the first three episodes, her partner's off climbing a mountain. So we haven't met him at this stage of what I've been watching. But yeah, no, the setup was really fun. And it was it was the perfect kind of thing for to watch in that way where I could have just kept binging. So of all the things it you've recommended so this year, I'm going to be watching all of it for sure. Yeah. And it has scary moments. Like she herself is going through a lot of um, psychological stuff. And even I'll just cap at the first three episodes because that's all where you are. She starts dreaming about demons talking to her and they're fucked up, but somehow hilarious at the same time. It's like what he's Um, kind of like, um, what is it called? George. Where you you can't move. Uh, Yeah. It's like a sleep paralysis demon. Which is really scary. Um, And George keeps coming back throughout the entire second season as well. Like we see him again and again. Um, But yeah, and it definitely, the second season gets fucking bonkers. Like the second season just is completely off the rails. I love all the characters. I love the, the, her mom. I love their approach that it is kind of, it's a monster of a week setup where each week they are, you know, kind of looking at a different religious event that they have to approach. Um, but I love how varied it is and how did you get to the episode where the girls keep singing the same song? So I guess not that it's the Christmas episode from season one, but it is an earworm that has infected the entire school so it's an entire Ah. catholic school girls catholic school Uh where they have all been infected with an earworm and can't stop singing this song that they heard on youtube oh that's fun and that is like one of my and so it's it's not just you know possession um it goes all over the place and so this watching evil was like my highlight of my year where i binged the entire first season and then i watched the second season as the episodes came out and it was just wonderful do you recall where you heard about it first time like do you i stumbled on it actually Actually, on on Netflix, there was one night on Netflix where, um, because the first season's on there, where it was like, you may also like. So it was like I'd finished watching something like Fear Street. And then it was like, you may also like. And it was right there. And I was like, meh. 
why not? I'll watch an episode. Hmm. Um, cause it said something about demonic possession and I was like, demons, I'm kind of in. Um, so yeah, definitely worth checking out. Yeah. It, I'm glad I'm not I getting nearly enough love and I need it to keep going. So more people yeah. need to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think I'm right. There's the lead actor. Was he the guy who played Luke Cage in the big Marvel show? I was kept thinking I'd seen entirely him, possible. Yeah, I'm yeah. not as up on my Marvel. Yeah. Surprising. He was really charismatic and it was just, I felt like I'd seen him in, in, a, in something before, but it was one of those people where you're like trying to remember if you place mm-hmm. him. Um, but yeah, no, that show was, that was a nice surprise. Um, okay. So my number four was your number eight, I believe. Uh, and that is the film, the vigil. Uh, that was my number nine. Number nine. Yeah. yeah. Number nine, Keith Thomas. Um, and the reason why this one's so high for me is this is the most me horror film of the year in terms of like, the kind of parts of me that wants to make something that's kind of got the is very quiet and slow burn creepy but when it is it's like full fulci creepy like like really mm-hmm. is the closest to the the scary parts of a fulci film that actually work and the thing you can't quite make out what it is because it's dark and evil i love that kind of horror film and this is one of the only films that ticked that box for me this whole year um this is and it starts in a very grounded way you know it's a it's it's a young guy who's left an orthodox uh, jewish community and he is like with another group of people who have kind of all broken out of that in New York and they're, but he's really struggling for money and he's, and whether he's a good guy or not, it's a little hard to tell, you know, probably by our standards, sure. But by the standards of the community left, maybe less so. And he is asked by a buddy of his to, to uh, watch over the body for a night because just like a lot of cultures, you can't leave uh, the body even for a moment, even to go to the bathroom. You're not meant to leave the body in a lot of the cultures uh, for, for the night after mm-hmm. passing. And that, and it's, an, you know, an elderly man has died in a house. His, his, his wife will be there somewhere asleep probably at that time. And, you know, he does it for to get some quick money because he's really struggling. And so, you know, his ethical reasons a little, you know, uh, shady. And he comes into this house and starts doing it. And we start to slowly uh, realize there is a dark, malevolent presence in the house that is looking for another person to cling to, kind of like a Dybbuk mm-hmm. kind of story. And if you're a broken character, it's a lot easier, a broken person. And and this character certainly ticks the boxes. And they're just, this is one I can't, I've only seen it once when we first saw it. Uh, I can't wait to see it again because there's so much of it. I just watched the trailer again. I was like, oh, I'd forgotten that part and that part. It's it's very quiet. It's mostly set in the one house, but it has so many creature moments that yes. start to build. And so just a lot of creepy people looking into a dark room, not seeing something, and there's something slowly coming behind you. I love that kind of horror. And there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of it this year that I loved of those kind of moments. And this is the one that, for me, most ticked that. And very exciting because that director is the director of the new Firestarter remake, whatever, that Blumhouse. That's Awesome. So, so it's a good pick, like whatever whatever their direction Blumhouse is taking that, it to me is a good yeah. sign. So um, yeah, that's the vigil. Yeah, this one um, was in my number nine slot. This was like one of my surprise viewings because I yeah. think um, we're, we know the producers, yeah, Raphael um, yeah. and JD, um, had sent us over a link and I watched this blind. Like yeah. I had no idea what it was. I just got the link from JD that was like, hey, you might like this. And I clicked on it one night while I was like, you know, grading midterms off to the side and suddenly I was captivated by it I have never seen a monster like that before it's clearly like a cultural concept um but it was something that I was like oh god that is just so smart and such a beautiful allegory of the character at the same time yeah we've seen like overt versions like the Dybbuk box Mm -hmm. and things that have touches on this but like having just seen Golem too as we said at the start of the show was interesting to see this kind of it's like somewhat of a continuation of these kind of ideas and then uh there's one of my favorite 
favorite movies of the year, which isn't horror, but is going to be in my top 10 non-horror list, would make the best double feature of the year. It's called Shiva Baby. And it's mm-hmm. like an 80 minute. It feels like that show Girls. And it's Well, hilarious. it's still about like. Yeah, it's about a body. Yeah. Sad, but it's yeah, the comedy version. The body. Yeah. <laughs> I think they would make the best double feature of the year because they're so different. But um, but I do think, yeah, I think they're both interesting in that way. But anyway, so yes, yeah. the vigil. No, I remember talking about it when we talked about the yeah. vigil on the show that um, because my much of my family is Southern Baptist, yeah. um, that we always had wakes as well, but there was wake food. Like you would yeah. only have it at the wake and it was a whole thing of like 24 hours of potato salad. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's a great setup for a film to go in. And so, yeah, the vigil was an absolute trip. I loved this one. Nice. Okay, which takes me to number three. My number three may be higher on your list, which is crazy because we're down to three spots. So my number three is The Empty Man. Uh, Slightly higher. Bromlead. Bromlead in the best possible way. But but very happy that it's going to get such high accolades here. Holding on my number three. Okay. Uh, Well, my number three may or may not be higher on your list. I don't know. Um, My number three... So my top three all could be number one very easily, and they all have different reasons. I, it was very hard to – I kind of just went more at the emotional decisions. Um, my number three ends up being The Night House by David it's Bruckner. It's not in my top ten. Okay. I loved I loved this movie. Did not make – I love moments of it, yeah, moments yeah. of it. My best jump scare of the year is yes, in this movie. Yes. It's performance of the year for a horror movie. Like for me, Rebecca Hall in this movie is on fire. She's so good mm-hmm. as somebody dealing with grief. She's a widow – uh, t- school teacher. My favorite, my favorite funny scene of the year is she has just lost her husband to suicide, but a, a teach a student's mom comes in trying to get an A from her when the student didn't do work, and her her response of just like "fuck it, you want me to change it? I don't give a fuck." Like you want a B, you want an A. Probably one of I my don't favorite care. things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, I, I like I said, this is like also like if I saw this a second time, I've only seen it once. Um, and it was actually on the plane. I thought about watching it again on the plane. Um, I. I think it's going to be a film we talk about for years. It's going to be around forever. It's going to be a classic horror film. I I, I need another viewing because it does take... There's Hellraiser-ish moments to this too, which is obviously a good sign of Bruckner and is directing Hellraiser and Luke and Ben <laughs> wrote Hellraiser. Yeah. Um, but this is one of those films that really gets under your skin and it takes quite a, you know, quite a big turn in the second half with the why, with the what. And that's mm-hmm. the part I need to rewatch because I, a lot of it's already almost faded. But, but the build up to that and the setting of her dealing with potentially uh, you know, an entity of, of maybe it's the entity, the ghost of her husband. What is, what has her husband been up to? And then there's a whole other story. And then of course the night house of it, which is this house that she sees across the river that shouldn't really be there. So it's, there's so much to this movie. Um, Bruckner is to me, just kind of on fire at the moment in terms of like the, I would say the hottest director in terms of uh, making movies, the kind of movies I want to watch that, he's made two in a row that are Mm -hmm. the ritual. I'm a huge fan of the ritual. Um, And the fact that Hellraiser's next makes me very hopeful. Um, P.S. If you're not watching it, I just watched the last, is it people behind the monsters? The shutter show that we're on. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, The uh, monsters that made us us may have changed the name. Yeah. The last episode is the Hellraiser one. And I remember when I've been watching, I like, I pop up for a couple seconds in each of these things and you do too. But I remember thinking, I'd be really bummed if I wasn't the Hellraiser one. We're probably in the Hellraiser one by far the most of any of them. And so it's the last one. It was really cool because that one means so much to me in terms of becoming an adult horror fan from being a Mm -hmm. kid horror fan when I was a kid. That was the movie where I was like, now I'm an adult and ooh, I get to watch this. That was the feeling when I was 16 or whatever and watched it. Um, 
anyway, so so yeah, I'm, I think Night House is fantastic, a great ghost story, and could also be at my number one. So anywhere from here, we're talking high end stuff. Yeah. Um, my number two, I don't even know if it will be in your top three, but this was by far one of my fave viewings of the year. And that is Werewolves Within, directed by oh. Josh Rubin. I'm glad this made your list. This is kind of like Jacob's uh, Wife for me, where it would be yeah. that kind of movie. I would just not quite be there, but it was a lot of fun. I had so much fun with this film. It was what I needed. This film, it goes in, it is um, a uh, mailman who is doing kind of his first day, or I'm sorry, no, it is, um, it is, he meets the mailman, but it is um, kind of, he's bringing in, um, and he is uh, the gentleman, I believe he's with the police department. He's like, oh, he's the ranger. He is the ranger. Yeah, new Um, ranger. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, I was like, it's law enforcement in some capacity, um, but it is a park uh, somehow like a forest ranger who is now going to be taking care of this area. And there is a town in the middle of it, this really tiny town. And so he's basically, it's his first day. He's just arrived. He's going around the town, introducing himself to the locals. And he immediately meets the male lady who is just absolutely charming. And he realizes that out of like, you know, this really small town with like 10 people in it, everybody is kind of a crazy character and that there's already this like crazy opposition. There is the weird wilderness, like bunker dude out in the woods who doesn't let anybody on his property without firing shots at him. You have um, the weirdo lady up cat lady up the street. Who's like making crazy crafts for people. She like makes them puppets out of laundry jugs, if I remember correctly. Um, and then you've got uh, the, the LGBTQ couple who lives up the street, who moved out of the city and wanted to come here to like, you know, be um, more rural and get back to the, to nature. Um, and it's all of these kind of different walks of life. And what eventually happens, they are snowed in. It's like one of the worst snowstorms. Nobody can go anywhere, this all on his first day. And then something starts killing people and they start finding bodies and they begin to get suspicious that it's a werewolf. And then they realize that it has to be one of them. This is based off a video game that I had played a couple of times. This movie is so much better than the video game. The video game's good. The video game's really good because you have to kind of, it's like playing Clue where you have to kind of deduce who the werewolf is. This movie is such a clever take on it. It is such a fun, clever take on it. It's a comedy through and through. It feels like Coen Brothers made a werewolf movie um, in just how kind of the dark comedy is structured out. And I had an absolute blast with this. Josh Rubin, I will watch anything he does. I love his style. Yeah, no, it's it is a lot of fun, and uh, I, I and also the actual creature stuff when you get there is actually really fun and yeah, done well. So uh, no, that's a, a really fun one, and probably would have been in that like runner up area of mine too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well now, and Josh, we have an episode if you're listening and didn't realize we do have an episode with Josh from earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, okay, my number two is the cult movie of the year. It probably might be one of the cult movies of the decade i'm expecting i think there aren't it's i think that gets thrown around when people call movie a cult they're usually wrong it's just a good movie this is actually what the very definition of what a cult movie will become which is the empty man which was your Mm -hmm. three or four your this was my three three so this is my favorite horror film of the year if that's any indication of where my top 10 might be headed uh it is uh and also it's partially technically it was a december dump 
So technically it wasn't even yeah. this year, but n- I don't know a single human who saw it in December. Everyone yeah. saw it in January. Um, and it was dumped by, it's part of the, it's the ultimate victim of the Disney Fox Disney merger. Fox. Yep. It was just yeah. dumped. It, it even to the point where, because it's so long and that's the other thing that why it's been a hard sell for people. It's two and a half hours or whatever. I think a lot of people, you, uh, you almost wonder, it never feels this way when you watch it, but you almost wonder, was it done editing or were they going to, would Disney have, pushed another 20 minutes out of it. Yeah. Would they have taken it theatrically at two and a half Yeah, hours? I doubt that's, it. That's right? a bold move. Yeah, yeah. And yet I'm glad it's held on because the first 30 minutes is like a separate movie mm-hmm. and it's freaking the best movie. I mean, best the first 30 minutes. Hold is, yeah, open. It is as like, there is one movie in our runner ups that I'm going to talk about another great cold open, but um, that you'll agree. But this movie is just so interesting and I've become pretty obsessed about thinking about it. That's why it's, mm-hmm. it's the one that's most stuck with me from the first viewing. Like our friend Dick, I remember seeing the poster and thinking, I will never watch that because it looks like the thin man. Uh, it looked it, like uh, it Slender Man. Slender Man. It, looked it looked like, like a Slender, Slender Man, man ripoff. Yeah. And it is to a degree. It's like Slender Man yeah. told through urban legend through the byway so of David Fincher. And it's yeah, so many movies. Huge. It's like every 30 minutes it felt like the first one's like a big folk kind of horror in the middle of uh, you know the Himalayas. And then the next hour feels like a Japanese 90s horror movie about teenagers. And then suddenly yep. it's this, you know, this, this guy's, this cop is investigating, like the part that I don't remember as well. And I know some people bump a bit with the ending, which I won't get into like that part felt right when I watched it and I want to watch it again at some point. This is based on I the need to bond. watch. Yeah. I can't remember how it ends, yeah, which is it's a that thing. Kind of feeling, I can remember yeah. everything else. And yeah, and I have not read, this is one of the few Colin Bunn projects I have not read. And I need I'm to buy obsessive it. I need about to reading it. his stuff, but yeah. yeah, I need to read this. And it's, you know, so this is David Pryor, who I, I want to get on the show in the new year. That's one of my goals, just because now that this movie's been out for a while, I feel like now would be a better, we could have a more spoilery mm-hmm. conversation with him. But he was a, a Fincher protege. We talked about him a little bit on, a recent Patreon because I finally went back and saw this really great short he made AM 1200. I watched it. It's yeah. so good. It's, I mean, oh where God. it goes, is like the perfect it's Lovecraft. So it's the perfect modern Lovecraft beat. Um, and, and it just, it really just the style of it. And did you realize that guy is the brandy cherry guy? It's as like, soon as I, you mentioned that yeah. on the show. And as soon as I started watching, I was like, Oh God, it is. Yeah, like you see I totally it, but realize. it's such dis- different acting. Yeah, no, it's totally different character. Yeah, no, it's for a short film. They really, it really makes it feel like this. It could totally be a feature. You could totally go back mm-hmm. and, but anyway, so I, I just think this is somebody who we should be, hopefully we'll get to make another feature soon. Um, but the empty man is to me, the movie that I've seen the last couple of years where you're like, all right, this is what a true cult is it disney does not want you to see it it got dumped this movie shouldn't even exist and yet people started discovering it despite the running time they started to tell their friends about it and then it has become a movie that people are noticing and so to me yep the very definition of cult is the empty man so that is my number two but my favorite movie horror movie of the year Ooh, where, my... are we going? where are we going okay number my number one I don't think you have gotten a chance to see what is my favorite, I will say, media project of the year, because it's not a film, it's a show. And this is something, and this is a bold move on my part, because the season's not even done. I am like seven episodes in. I know where you're headed. This has been my favorite thing of the year, just 
fuck all this is good. My number one is Yellow Jackets. I didn't even know it was horror. I thought it was like, you know. In, oh, God, indie, yeah, it is. Indie drama. I didn't know what it was. No, no, this is pure horror. So it. Because um, it started stuff, right after as I left, basically. So I wanted it to. Did. See it did. But I get. And they are, they've only released episode seven. And that's how good it is, is it is so good. I will put this as my yeah, number okay. one this year. For episodes one through seven yeah. so far. Um, but the first episode was directed by Karen Kasama. She yeah. did the pilot. Fucking knocked it out of the park. And then from there, it's got different directors. The setup, the the short, you can tell the elevator pitch was female Lord of the Flies. But mm. that is that is such like a, a just a, a cheap way out of it. It is um, a group of girls who are all on a soccer team. They are the Yellow Jackets. And they have made this like international championship. They have won this massive championship. And they are on their way to, I think, Vancouver to um, compete. And they all hate each other. There's like this crazy infighting. There's different factions from the very start of like, you know, we're not in these same cliques in school. We make fun of this girl, this you suck on the field. We're going to, you know, block you out. So you never even get the ball. You shouldn't be captain. There's all of this kind of stuff going on beforehand. But the coach, the coach's sons and the team hops on a plane, which crashes in the middle of Canada. Like, I think it's supposed to be somewhere outside of Ontario, but it is just woods and cold. And mm. that's all you really get is, and, and there's a, there's a river nearby. Um, I'm going and, Manitoba. I'm just going to throw it out there. It's going to yeah. be Manitoba. And it's, it's definitely, it's not like snowy yet. I, I have a feeling it's headed there. Mm. Um, but yeah, you get the idea that it's, it's definitely a, a chilly, very rural area. Um, they're sitting around for the first couple of days, eating up what snacks they have left on the plane, thinking somebody's going to come get us and no one ever does. And that's all within like the first 10 minutes. Now the show is really smart because it is fast forwarding at the same time to a handful of the girls in modern day. Mm. And so you're getting them. They have made this pact to never talk about what happens there. And so right now, just in episode seven, it is leaning on about five different potential horror ways it's going to go. And mm. you've definitely, even in episode one, you get a strong supernatural vibe. You get that there is, I'll say, kind of a lost vibe with it. Lost makes it sound campy. It's not. This is dark. Mm. Um, it, you get this strong supernatural vibe that there is something at wrong with these woods, that there is some type of evil presence in these woods. There's symbols. There's symbols carved in the trees everywhere. So as soon as they crash, you see a symbol on one of these trees and you get the idea that they have crashed into this supernatural mm. area. Um, you're getting, and I'm not even going to say where it goes, but there's slasher vibes. There's cannibalism vibes it just goes all these different places well the part that grabs me and i haven't seen it yet but it's like funny because if you told me which teenage girls you wouldn't want to be crashed onto an island with i'd be like well you don't want to be with uh more the the girl from the adams family you don't want to be with the girl from natural born killers and you definitely yeah. don't want to be with the girl from heavenly creatures and it's like here they all are as adults i'm like so okay there. that's pretty great <laughs> And so the way that it's structured so far is you are only flash forward, flashing forward to four of the girls' stories. Mm. And so you definitely get the idea that 
those are the only people who survived. Right, but you don't. Um, and it's really slowly paced, but it's got this amazing horror tone just burning throughout. Um, and it's very, you know, this they crashed in the 90s, so it's going back and forth. And let me just say, Christina Ricci is fucking psychotic. That's oh, one cool. of the other big yeah. horror veins that you get um, is that, she she comes at it um trying to be the nurse like she's taking care of everyone and you realize in that first episode that there is like something seriously fucking wrong so then it's got this additional horror thing when you realize that she might not be really helping that there's a lot going on there mm. um and she is just performance amazing i'm trying to think who the fourth person is then because i knew melanie linsky and i knew the others too. I'll, I'll have to look it up. I don't know who the other. Yeah, I can't even remember her name, but okay. she um, she plays a politician. She's okay. a, a politician running for an election okay. um, in current times, and she's trying. That's kind of the catalyst in the modern day. Is she is uh, running for? Um, I guess it's like mayor or governor or something like that. And she starts getting these notes that someone is trying to get her to talk about what really happened on the island, and all of a sudden she gets a postcard with that symbol. That was on the trees. And then she contacts oh, all cool. the other girls and is like, somebody knows, somebody, something's happening. Mm. Um, and it kind of goes from there. Ooh, I like so. stories like that. That actually also reminds me a little bit of um, uh, the only good Indian from Stephen Graham Jones. But like in terms of like a group of people mm-hmm. getting haunted by the past, which I read in quarantine because I hadn't read that one. I'd read How Does a Chainsaw? And I loved it. So. Yeah, it's structured very similarly where it's like a psychological slow burn, but it's got these horror elements just simmering yeah, throughout. Cool. It's really uh, Tawny Cypress is uh, yeah. the fourth one that we yeah. see a lot of. She's the politician one. Yeah. So Yellow Jackets, my number one of the year. I am still just so deep in it right now. I wonder how many episodes it's going to be. Ten? I have no idea. I'm on like seven or eight. I'm literally watching them as soon as they street right now. So if it shits the bed, uh, then Becca's going to have the worst thoughts. Oh, sorry, guys. I'll have to revamp that next year. <laughs> You'll be like, I'm tweaking this because no, I, I think I just read that it was getting renewed. So that's probably a good sign. Um, Which I have no idea where the fuck it's going to go next yeah. year. Like that's it's kind of like me looking at American Horror Story where I was like, when you're blowing up the world, where yeah. do you go when the world's blown up? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I am very. Yeah, that's something I wanted to see straight away anyway. So mm-hmm. I now you've sold me. Okay. Well, my number one. So good. If, if Let me just put it this way. After the couple weeks I've had, if I watched my number one now, I would not be able to uh, not cry from start to end it was already the most emotional thing i saw this year and it wasn't at a point where i was feeling emotional which is uh mike flanagan's midnight mass uh which for me nice. was just a really emotional work it was scary it had you know an amazing mythos to it it was by far to me his best work like it wasn't even like as much as i loved the first hill house season which i loved and i think is his other best thing this to me was a whole nother level of storytelling um and i'm not monologue guy i really am not like i I don't really like a lot of talking and horror to be honest i like Mm -hmm. visual cinema and yet something about these characters really maybe it's just the way they're all broken there it's about an isolated island community a lot of elderly people and uh this young the other one of the other performances of the year, Hamish Linklater as Father Paul, comes. This young priest comes because their old elderly priest is uh, sick, and so and might not be able to come back. They don't know. So this young priest comes to fill his spot for a while, and he comes as kind of with some eccentric approaches, 
And as he goes, we start to realize there's connections to like a vampire myth or something like that. Uh, you know, like it takes like four episodes before that element of horror even starts coming in. It reminds me a bit of the exorcist, the backstory. Mm -hmm. And then it just starts going for it. And then we start realizing that people might be aging differently now all of a sudden. And, and we get to the concept of the behind the title, which is midnight mass. Why would you have your mass at midnight becomes very clear. And it's just, there's something, there's certain parts where I remember just being so emotional uh, watching this um, just about, you know, life i remember there's one character who who's under a lot of uh, trauma and who has who has done something terrible at the start of the show um who is dealing with the kind of after effects and just trying to hold on to friendships and relationships and uh loved ones who are passing and it just so it has all this very complicated stuff going on and somehow to me at least he really brought it all together and then still delivered a horror show uh that feels incredibly cinematic and so to me this was the one of his properties that has made it so clear uh, how important he is and that, you know, kind of a voice in horror right now and just in mm -hmm. terms of writing. So I, I loved Midnight Mass and really did it for me. Like I said, I don't think I could watch it right now. I think it'd be too emotional, but it's, it's a hell of a piece. So I had to put it in my number one uh, to drop the nice. Midnight Mass I've, statement. I've seen that on a lot of number one lists. That's good. So yeah, Deserted. good year. Yeah. Um. So shall we call out some? Yeah, let's uh, do it rapid Ricky fire. My, my yeah. paranoia is mostly that we get cut off because <laughs> I'm totally. on the other side of the world. So, yeah, I have to give a shout out to Slacks, which um, I didn't put on my top 10, but it was still a super fun movie that you need to see, which it's it's killer pants, but there's a lot behind it. It's not as kind of sci-fi or, or campy. It's yeah. still got a camp to it, but it's it's smart. It's surprisingly one of the more amusing movies I watched this year. Yeah, brand new cherry flavor was just like mm -hmm. I think it mostly is suffering just because I didn't want to have multiple series on my thing. So I, yeah. I, I think it was one of my favorite experiences because it was just bonkers every week. Yep. Uh, so I love that. Uh, Gaia was a big one for me. Yeah, I actually Africa almost just film. left it off at the end yep. thinking it would make yours. And because I, I was like, oh, should this be like number eight? It's kind of like Kandisha where it's like it's good enough to be in my top 10. But it just missed. Yeah, out. Candyman. I said Candyman was yeah. twelve. Gaia was eleven. Okay. Um. So it was super high up on mine. But it. I will watch killer plant movies anytime. And yeah. this one. Oh, the body horror in this was intense. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this one makes your skin crawl. Yeah. The only opening of a movie that I think was even better than Empty Man, uh, but the rest of the film didn't live up. Impedagor has mm -hmm. the most Carpenter esque. <sighs> first 15 minutes cool. it's really just like on its own level just i think the only thing that makes that film suffer is like it then becomes regional folk horror and it's like there's something yep. about it being in the urban environment that was way scarier no when yeah. it was the toll booth toll booth in it's that amazing so good i'll also say queen of black magic yes, was yes. really that good came very really close tight. to my mm -hmm. that was like in my top five for a long time to be honest it just i yeah, don't know what too. sometimes things just move around caveat is a movie that i really thought the the setup is just so clever and weird and funny and offbeat that's on shutter a uh, very fun yeah. one I thought Boys from County Hell did yep. a lot of really interesting, fun stuff as super well. Super funny, just, too. Yeah, super funny. Um, I have to give a shout out for Taiwanese film Detention, um, which I think is technically from 2019, but it didn't make it here oh. till 2020. There's actually already a TV series for it on Netflix, but I saw the original film 
released here um, this year, and it's really tight as well, Detention. I have two festival indies that I uh, just wanted to mention because they didn't end up being released yet, uh, and both of them could have been in my 9-10 type spots, and that is Hellbender, uh, which is just mm-hmm. super fun, which uh, young, young teen witch uh, with her mom in the woods indie horror that will be coming very soon, I think, from Yellowvale. And then another one I really love from Perry Blackshear, When I Consume You, um, oh yeah, I saw that. It's really interesting movie, really strong performances, and I think people are gonna, you know, dig that one. Uh, and then what I was m- mentioning at top, I said we both left censor off, but I need to rewatch it. Yep. The other movie I really need want to rewatch, and and it will be on most people's top ten. And was a victim of the pandemic for sure because it was going to be a huge release. Was Saint Maud. Because mm-hmm. when I watched, I was like watching on my TV. It was like after a lot of build up, and I was just like, yeah, it's pretty good. I want to see it one more time. It's a movie that I think I will appreciate a little more on a a second viewing. um. I also, um, these came out earlier in the year, so they probably have been a bit forgotten by now, but Shadow in the Clouds did some really interesting stuff. I really liked the performance in that. And also The Toll um, was one that when I was looking back, I was like, that did some interesting stuff too. There was was a, a couple moments in that that I actually thought were really good. Yes, yeah, Sator is another um, too. Sator, like definitely. in terms of indie, like that was one where it's like, okay, this is really visionary. Not like mm-hmm. I have anything else being made in its space. Strings is one I really like. That's just come up to Shutter, and I saw that at a festival. And Threshold was another like totally no budget uh, film made, you know, with cell phones even about a brother and sister trying. She's trying trying to rescue her from like a curse um, that I thought was really cool. So there's a lot of movies yeah. that you can't possibly fit in. And in terms of books, yeah, Stephen Graham. For me, it was the double of all the good Indians and my heart as a chainsaw like reading them both this year made me just realize okay that's a major voice three more major runner-ups that um before we shift to books that i want to get in even just um on major studio films last night in soho and i had fun with escape room too as well um so definitely want to give a mention to that oxygen um which is alex aja's new film on netflix it's vaguely horror which is why i didn't put it on my top 10 list but that's definitely a really interesting one about a girl who is stuck in some type of hypersleep pod um and destined to some other location where if she is awake she's going to use up all the oxygen and she can't figure out how to get herself put back to sleep she can't even remember why she's there just that her pod has malfunctioned she has total amnesia um the whole thing is inside the hypersleep pod really clever filmmaking it's basically a siri nightmare if you had a nightmare about talking to Siri all night, um, malignance, <laughs> malignance, obviously another one that we both really enjoyed yeah. and had a bonkers good time. And it's probably one that I'll watch five years from now and be like, oh yeah, it's even better than I remembered because yeah. it's so crazy, but it didn't quite make it. And I'm going to, I will be upset with myself if I don't give plugs to Muppets Haunted Mansion, which was it. just, and I'll say Nightbooks is another sure. kid's one that I was like, okay, if I was like 10 watching that, I would have been like, oh, well, that just defined my personality going forward. Um, okay, books. I have My Heart is a Chainsaw on here. I also included graphic novels, Crossroads at Midnight and Autumnal, I thought were both really good and just um, ones that will stick with me. New book I read just within the last week, The Goddess of Filth, I really enjoyed. Witch novel does some really cool things. And I just got one that I'm going to include because Ryan Turek just told me that it's like his favorite book of the year. So you get a Ryan Turek plug and that is Where They Wait. Okay. I, I just I bought it. I'm excited for okay. it. It looks cool. So uh, just real quick, let's just count down each our top tens for anyone list making because yes. we jumped around on a couple. Um, while you locate yours, I'll just count mine backwards quickly, okay? 
Um, Number 10, we need to do something. Number nine, Jacob's wife. Number eight, Candisha. Number seven, come true. Number six, Titan. Number five, Candyman. Number four, The Vigil. Number three, The Night House. Number two, The Empty Man. And number one, Midnight Mass. For me, number 10, The Super Deep. Number nine, The Vigil. Number eight, The Advent Calendar. Number seven, Fear Street. Specifically 1978, but I'll just say all three of them. Um, Number six, Candition. Number five, Save Yourselves. Number four, Evil Season 2. Number three, The Empty Man. Number two, Werewolves Within. And number one, Yellow Jackets so far. Yeah, nice. I, that that probably is the first in the history of a not quite done show. But hey, it, it, it's going to certainly make somebody watch it. So that's something. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was a hell of a year. We definitely watched. I mean, I probably watched more new horror films this year than most because of the pandemic and being home a lot. Yeah. But uh, it is, and also hopefully, recording this wasn't easy. Yeah, we won't, and hopefully we won't end up back there. So yeah, I certainly fingers hope not. crossed. Or get I, vaccinated. I hope I can just get back to the country. Uh, right. As as I in the next couple of days, I'm going to have to take that journey, and we will see. But we wanted to record this. It would have been easier to have waited till January to do this because this is like technical. But I'm glad we did it. We can't do that, Elric. I know. I know. We need it. You're, so. you're lucky. Beck is annoying and kept saying no, no. We're doing this this year. We're doing this. Find a way to make it happen. Not allowed to just be in a slump. You have to come and and do this. So I'm glad we did it, and uh, and I'm excited to like the fun part about getting the top ten done. It's like ooh, now January, all new movies, all All new lists, new movies, and all new rankings. Yeah, I'm excited about that, and except for Antlers, which I still feel like I need to watch. So well. You need to get back here so we can go see Nightmare Cinema together. And and I have tickets for us to see Perfume of the Lady in Black. I'm sorry. I said Nightmare Cinema. Nightmare Alley. Everything blurs together. Nightmare Cinema is the Mick Garris anthology. But Nightmare Allergy. Nightmare (laughs) Allergy. What the fuck? This is what happens when we've been going. Did you think it's Patreon? Did you think it's Patreon? (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, <laughs> if you want more deep cuts and crazy stuff, go go follow the Deep Cut Patreon. She, uh, Becca will be posting the Christmas episode they did there uh, because yep. I've been away. But we will. I've, I actually did watch a couple really bonkers things for that that we'll be recording start of January. So yep. uh, thank you for all your support. You're listening. And we will also be posting a list of our runner ups that we did not include on the show, like just 20 more films from this year that we definitely think deserve a mention and some love. We will be posting up there within the next couple of days as well. So you can find us under Deep Cuts. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Goodbye, 2021. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All that good stuff. Yeah. Take care, guys. And we will see you all in 2022. Thank you. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soff of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 